In today's episode, our guests Marta Dillon and Magdalena Baranzolcis talk with Wolfgang Kalek about the revolutionary potential of contemporary feminist movements. Human Rights in Times of Crises, ECCHR's talk series on resistance and concrete utopias. With our talks, we want to create the necessary platform for actors from all over the world to discuss and advance global human rights struggles. Human rights are a concrete utopia worth defending, but how to defend them needs to be constantly reinvented. As we find ourselves in a time of profound global transitions, human rights actors need to refer to prevailing inequalities and the underpinning social questions. We initiated an event series that is now available as a podcast to rethink the struggle for and around human rights. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to ECCHR event series, Human Rights in Times of Crisis, of Resistance and Concrete Utopias. Um, this event was actually planned back in 2019 together with our cooperation partner, the Federal Agency for Civic Education, obviously as an uh, event in presence together with workshops, because even by that time we were aware that we as human rights organizations are facing a multiple and very complex global crisis, climate crisis, uh, crisis of uh, water, of food, growing authoritarianism, which requires a new discussion with new actors, with other actors than the very close human rights community. And obviously, with the current uh, pandemic crisis, it became even clearer that a conversation is needed. Um, we are hoping that at some point in the upcoming months, we will be able to fulfill our function as ECCHR to serve as a platform, as a hub for actors beyond Germany, beyond Europe, beyond law, an interdisciplinary mixed uh, coalition of people. But as Alejandro Ancheta from Mexico said, we have to maintain our internationalist spirit and so we have to bridge until this time has come. And so this is why we decided to aggregate one more uh, online um, conference series to the endless series where we're having already. Hello, everybody. Uh, good evening, uh, good afternoon, or good morning, wherever you are. Um, so we are live now. We saw a recording from some months ago when we started this series, um, Human Rights in Times of Crisis. So we're very happy to um, host now the sixth part of our series. And I have one guest here in the TV studio in Berlin-Lichtenberg, in rainy Berlin. So Magdalena Baran-Soltis, you came from Vienna. How do you like Berlin today? <laughs> <laughs> I like Berlin very much, so I like it even today. Okay, okay. No, that's, that's real commitment because <laughs> it's, um, it's a really ugly day. So, um, Marta Dillon from Buenos Aires, how are you today? Fine, it's a pleasure to be here in the way that is possible nowadays. <laughs> but at least we are in conversation, so thank you very much for having me. 
No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, Marta. So um, today's um, next hour is uh, dedicated to the feminist movement. Better to say to new feminist movements, on one hand, Latin America, or at least starting in Latin America, then shifting over to, to Europe. That's Marta's part. And on the other hand, we're talking uh, with Magdalena about new movements um, in Europe. So why the feminist movement can impulse um, the human rights scene, um, I think you will, we will know better um, after the next hour, after the talk. But it's very clear um, that there are two reasons why at least um, we should dedicate more time and more space to discuss with actors, uh, with scholars from the feminist movement. One is very clear, as we have discussed in the, in, the, in the prior events of this series, we're facing a multiple crisis, and this multiple crisis uh, requires an intersectional answer, um, because it's very complex and it's very clear if we let us being separated, segregated, as this is often the case in the leftist and progressive movement, we're, we're lost anyhow. We don't understand what's going on. Um, and therefore, I'm very happy to talk to two to feminist um, activists who can give us some insight on one hand, uh, the feminist, uh, feminism as, a, as an intellectual source to better understand what's going on and also to give better answer. And on the other hand, um, a very strong movement which is uh, able to mobilize um, not only many people, but also new people. And uh, so Marta, for example, talked about some people's kitchen, Ollas Populares in, in, in Buenos Aires, where um, she makes clear that there is one stronghold of the feminist movement in, um, in, in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, are poor neighborhoods. And um, Magdalena talks about a referendum um, which also tried to mobilize, mobilize much more people than, let's say, the typical suspect, the usual suspects um, who would undersign any petition um, we would file to them. So I would like to start with Argentina. And uh, Marta, you might imagine that it's a pleasure for me, on one hand, to talk to you. On the other hand, we would like to have you here or we would also like to have visited you in Argentina because... Um, the Argentinian movement, might, rights movement, is a, is a model for us um, in Europe, and especially um, in my own organization, the European Center for Constitutional and Human Rights. Um, on one hand, because it successful combines um, very um, different types of struggle, the legal struggle, which is more or less where we work on, uh, cultural activities, but also political and um, yeah, social activities. So that's, that's a strength. And um, that's remarkable because in Europe, um, often the, the struggle in the courtroom with legal arguments is seen as a contradiction um, to political and social struggles. And um, we can see in Argentina that they can be complemented and, and connected. And uh, there is no better expression for that than the Madres de Plaza de Mayo, who would say, we are all feminist. So um, many, many decades um, struggling to uh, fight for justice for the 30,000 disappeared um, in Argentina. But um, yeah, learning, uh, seeing themselves in a political process and connecting them to new movements. And um, someone who connects the two, the two, these two lines, the 
elder human rights movement and the new feminist movement is Marta Dillon. Um, so she published a lot. She's writing for um, Argentinian progressive newspapers. She wrote several books and is also into films. But above all, and the reason why we invited her today, is um, she's one of the founders from Niuna Mas, now a worldwide leading um, human rights and um, women's rights and feminist um, organization. Um, but she's also part of the, of the Hijos, an organization which organizes the children of the, of the disappeared and assassinated yeah, people of the um, uh, killed people killed and disappeared by the military dictatorship. So, um, Marta, again, a very warm welcome. And um, so maybe you can describe a little bit how you started Niuna Mas in, in 2015. And um, what I find particularly striking that you started, that is Niuna Mas says, not one more. You started to, to challenge the violence, the enormous level of violence committed by state institutions, by state entities in, in Argentina and later on in Latin America, but also by, yeah, in, in private households on the streets um, by men. Um, you were then also involved in uh, the campaign for legalizing um, the abortion in, in Argentina, a very successful campaign. Um, but you moreover, let's say, put new life into Rosa Luxemburg concept of the political strike, which is on one hand a method of a tool of mobilization, and on the other hand, also very thoughtful, um, yeah, say, way to redefine work, to include all kinds of labor in this struggle um, for better working and living conditions. So, yeah, we would like to hear a little bit of your insight of the short but very impactful history of Niuna Mas. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I have to say that it's Niuna Menos. It's kind of the same, but I don't know. Our motto is Niuna Menos. I know that in in Germany, at least in Berlin or, or also in Leipzig, um, uh, there's uh, groups called Kainemar, and, and I think that Kainemar is more like Niuna Mas. Um, I would like to say something um, about the the link or the tie between the um, the human rights movement in Argentina and the feminist movement, because there's um, there's a profound uh, link since the beginning. But also when we start uh, Nuna Menos in 2015. We intentionally look for um, subscribe or, or to to be part of uh, human rights movements to understand the feminism as as a question as a as a fact of human rights. I don't know if it is clear, but we think when we start the Nuna Menos movement, it was in the first place a, a response to. Um, to the femicide, every day in Argentina, a woman uh, is murdered because of, of uh, her gender. You know, that's uh, we count femicides every day. On 2015, not only the the news of uh, one woman and one woman day by day, but also there, there were becoming a, a, a big crisis that we are used to crisis, to economic crisis in Argentina. 
But what we see, it's that uh, that intersectional point when the economic crisis make uh, grow the, the vulnerability of women um, to get out of cycle violence. So the first thing that we made was a, a, a big demonstration on the streets. It was really very big. And this demonstration was a kind of um, collective mourning of those um, deaths because they were not in the, in the public agenda. Mm, the, the women's die or the women's were murdered. And it happens till 2015 that there were not... Um, a political issue. They they were dying one by one, and that's one what we wanted to stop in the first place. But of course, in the condition of our of our country, and because of the um, the particular characteristics of uh, of our feminism, that is, um, is a kind of feminist that from I think um, that is not uh, born in the academic saloons you know it's a, it's a feminism that has um, its own practice to meet year by year since the since the 80s and it it's been it's been growing in a, in a fluid dialogue with the grassroots movements with the picketers uh, that that appears in the 2000 when it was a very big political and economical crisis um, and it grows also um, rounding or meeting uh, uh, in the the soup pots uh, you know because and it can um, show this intersection as point that you can you can we can talk about uh, macho violence or patriarchal violence but we uh, at the same time we are talking about the economical crisis the way that capitalism uh, expropriates our our potential to work our uh, our work of uh, giving care every day that it's not uh, there's no salary and it's not even considered as, as a work so I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm being clear, <laughs> but what I wanted to say is uh, that this kind of feminism, because when I when I talk with feminists in in Europe and or in the states, for example, there's uh, all the time this discussion around the liberal feminism or the or that feminism is not uh, classist enough. But here in Argentina, our experience and the fem the feminist movement that we are um, building is just it. It's an intersectional movement that can um, that took the strike tool as a uh, that took the strike as a feminist tool just to to put in act to put on the streets this. Um, intersection that that we know very well in the in our in our bodies in the territory of our bodies you know so we we don't have this problem about um uh, if feminist is functional to the right wing or or not and we understand very well what happened when we say that feminism is a is an issue of human rights because uh, you know there's Two things that that happen at the same time. There's something that happen in in your own body 
when you suffer violence, when you know when you are tired of working uh, and not getting paid for for caregiving. And it's also that happened to all of us um, when we meet on the streets. We meet um, we meet on the, on the streets, and we can experience the racial problems, the the class problems, um, you know, the gender problems uh, at the same time. So the strikes make uh, possible to show it in a, in a very profound and rebellion ways. No, our first motto for the strike was. If we, because the first strike that we did in Argentina was in 2016, and um, it was uh, an answer to a to a femicide uh, of an adolescent, and we were so tired, so we we said we go on strike. That's enough. And the the motto at this time was if if we are not worthy, uh, then produce without us. And the question about the the strike uh, was what stops when women strike? No, uh, or what what stops? Is it possible to stop the caregiving, the household? It, is it possible to not care of your children? <laughs> well, maybe it is, or maybe that. It, it, this question um, was put on on very different uh, territories and and uh, for example in the slums they 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 think how can we stop when we have to give uh, food for the children commun- community food for the children well maybe we can um, we can give raw food and not to cook no but that what we enlight that this este, this caregiving it's also work so there's a, the, uh, the strike also mobilized uh, a question about what is works and what is uh, being paid uh, of being work and and what is not um i don't know Wolfram, uh, because i'm i'm in a zoom and i only see me and i don't know if you are there and and understand what i'm saying i'm very <laughs> nervous about my english maybe um you want to make a, another a specific question i have um actually two for two, two three follow up question one question is you mentioned your connection uh, to the to the human rights movement in argentina And so um, it's striking because many of the leaders in, of the Argentinian human rights movement are women. The mm-hmm. uh, mothers of the Plaza de Mayo, the grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo, but also um, many other figures in that movement are women. Why are women so dominant in Argentinian human rights movement? And the, and the second question was in a way related to it. Because you described misery with the uh, enormous level of violence, uh, the femicides, the rapes by policemen, uh, the the impunity of the femicides, the impunity of violence against women in Argentina. So why did uh, Ni Una Mas appear so late, given the fact that there are so, so many strong women Uh, active in in Argentinian human rights movement. That, so that was the first part of the question. And the second part, after you started Niuna Mas in Argentina and later on in 2016, um, you started the strikes. Many other countries took this, uh, first in Latin America, but then also in Spain and even in the US and later on in in, in European countries. How would you explain this this kind of yeah little success story? 
Okay, in the in the first place, there's a, a, a long tradition of of women uh, um, leading the causes uh, against injustice and impunity. No, mm, uh, Madres de Plaza de Mayo were, were the first ones, or the at least the the, the ones that can um, change it all in a way in the last years of the military civil military dictatorship on the 70s. Mm, but also um, there are women that are uh, defensors of the territories against the capitalist extractivism and also women leading um, in the indigenous po uh, population. Yeah, there's a tradition about it. I don't know if there's one explanation about it, but I think that the, the example that the Madres de Playa de, de Mayo gave us it's uh, it's very important because they they go out to the household to 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 look for justice for all of us they change it they change it all uh, because they they build citizenship for all argentinians uh, and and the link i'm a, i'm a, um, a daughter of the disappeared women, woman, pardon, um, sorry. And I know, and we reconstruct a lot about the different ways, ways of uh, women resist and uh, um, the, the dictatorship, and not, on, not only the dictatorship, but the life in the, when they were uh, captive of the dictatorship. And the, the ways um, that women resist, or the, the particular ways uh, of this resistance, it's many times um, less visible than men that used to fight with uh, guns and also with, um, you know, their hands. Women resist with uh, laughter. Women resist with uh, making uh, ties with other companions. Women resist in, in many different ways that achieve to these strengths to to go out when it is very needed and i think that's happened with madres de plaza de mayo and that happens with us as daughters and sons uh, of of those women and it happens also in in the in the feminist movement we achieve many many different ways of resistance and when we put it to, uh, together when when we we get together the political imagination uh, can displace many possibilities of acting of, of act uh, at least why Nuna menos became so late i don't know if it's so late or not so late you know our country is <laughs> all the times is not uh, always in a crisis, always that we have many things to do, you know. <laughs> yes, it's been uh, 15 years since the 2001 crisis. But, well, I think in, in, in all those years, the feminist movement was growing year by year, uh, has been growing year by year. But at least I think we have the tools the, enough to, to act uh, on on 2015 because I don't know uh, because we have many many laws that um, that improve our our uh, that um, yeah improve our our livings for example 
equal marriage, for example, um, a law for gender identity to recognize trans people. We've, we've been fighting for many things during that year. We, we've been fighting also, for example, to against the impunity of the of the um, of the crimes of the dictatorships, and we achieved that uh, possibility to judge the the um, the militaries and their um, and, and other people that that took part on the genocide during the seventies. All of these things has been happening uh, in 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 these times, you know. Um, we uh, in Hijos, for example, we have to build um, another tool to to fight for impunity because uh, the the um, human rights movement in Argentina is not only um, it's not only a legal uh, um, fight. We we don't uh, go to the to the justice with the cap, uh, well, the justice as a big word. <laughs> we built also a tool that we call Scratches, and it, and it was a tool that was a, um, another path to, to justice, and it has to do when we, we localized genocide living in, in many neighborhoods with the, with no penalty about what, about the crimes they committed. And we go there and sign that house and say uh, with them, uh, you know, the things that that person done during the dictatorship and the, the shale that, that the shale was their own houses because, for example, they cannot go to the to the shops in the neighborhood. I don't know if it's, it's, it's it, I'm being I'm I am explaining in in a good way. I'm sorry, but all those fights were were um, still being done during the the to the the first decade of the two thousand. You know, the impunity laws fall down. I think on two thousand five. And then the many, many legal procedures began, for example. Uh, okay, that's a, a, maybe it's an answer because we've been fighting in many ways. So when, when Nuna Menos came to the streets, I think there was, the, we have been accumulating in our um, uh, ways of meeting. We, uh, the feminism in Argentina meet on a particular dates on October every year, and it was suspended by pandemic only. But from 30 years, we've been keeping touch with feminists in all around the country. Yeah, that's a big country, and um, we achieved many things. You know, uh, as the as the laws I I described uh, earlier. But at this particular moment, I think uh, well, it was the time. Mm, I, I you know, it was the time and. Um, and I think it's not only in our country, not only in our country, that uh, the time has come to make a feminism a rebellious way to uh, confront not only patriarchy, 
but also capitalist and neoliberalism that has a, a very specific plan for our bodies and for our work, <laughs> you know. So the time has come and we were there. And I think that has something to do with that uh, spreads. It, it, it spreads like a virus. We use that that word virus to a manifesto in, uh, for the second uh, international stri- feminist strike. And we feel that it's, it's like this or, or like a tide, you know, like a tide, a feminist tide that can affect different bodies with no... Uh, touching um, uh, one by one, you know, and and this tide, I think we empower each other, just like seeing the, the communication, you know, the possibilities of the communication are, are very useful for us because we get the strength when we see non una di meno in Italia and, and in Italia they get strength of, of our mobil- mobilizations. And it is spread uh, all over the world and uh, in, in Latin America also. So that's it. I think that the same things that are extractivists, <laughs> well, the same thing that we are worried right now like the the use of the social media allowed us to connect to many other other feminists all around the world and i think the motto of nuna menos is uh, quite simple and uh, it's quite simple but also it's a kind of way of say enough no we are we we get our boundaries we can we cannot stand anymore we need to strike. We need to um, to stop also those discourse of, about uh, about equality that don't fit us because we are not talking only about being equal to men. We are um, fighting against a whole system that is uh, based on the expropriation of our uh, our potential, our strengths, and our work. Thank you very much, Marta. I, I hope, Magdalena, you agree um, that it was extremely interest, interesting to listen to you, Marta. And uh, the more I feel sorry that you're only a remote here um, because we could continue for quite a while. But we also want to give um, Magdalena Baran-Soltis the stage. She is a literary scholar and works um, for the Research Center for the History of Transformation at the University of Vienna. She also publishes, uh, amongst other things, this book. Uh, You might not be able to read it. It's about the referendum um, in Austria. She's going to talk a little bit more where a number of of claims of the women's movement, of the feminist movement, were included in this this referendum and uh, a couple of years ago and half a million of people voted in favor of this. So, um, Magdalena, having heard um, the Argentinian and uh, Latin American experiences, so um, how would you how would you describe your own experiences in Europe, and um, probably at some point also connect them to what we heard from Marta? Yes, thank you, Wolfgang, for the nice introduction and for the invitation, and also Marta, thank you a lot for all these interesting insights. I have to say that when I listened to Marta, I thought that it's almost the same in Austria or in Europe. We have somehow maybe a little bit different problems in a different dimension, but you mentioned all the topics which we also think about. 
And maybe this is the interesting thing will be when I tell about you a little bit more about the referendum, about the Frauenvolksbegehren, the women's rights referendum, which uh, was started in Austria in 2018. It was the second referendum in Austria, women's referendum in Austria, actually, because the first one was in 1996. But 20 uh, years later, women came together and said, we had this referendum 20 years ago, and in this 20 years, almost nothing changed, and almost none of those demands became reality. So uh, they started a new referendum again, and it was a non-partisan referendum. It was a crowdfunded referendum, and it was based on the work on volunteers who also were unpaid and who did a lot of work from very basic work like putting placards on to very specific work like going to talk shows and speak in television. And this is something we could maybe also talk about that uh, activism also is somehow a point of work and you also need time and space and you also have to afford this. Anyway, and this referendum had uh, nine big main demands and like 36 sub-demands. And it was somehow a very complex program, which would be say it was a basis program for a feminist vision of the world and a basis program for dismantling um, patriarchal ideas and dismantling patriarchal um, conditions, as well as enabling a better world for all. So we had like this very small demands which were like worked out from jurists in our team and how did this happen where were these demands coming from so there was a questionnaire sent to like 15 feminist organizations in austria and the question was when you would have to choose three demands which which would enable a better world for women or for other disadvantaged group, which one would you choose? And they responded and gave uh, three demands they would choose. And out of all these demands, this 40 approximately demands for the uh, Frauenvolksbegehren for the referendum were chosen. And this was also one of the things which was in public discourse, which was a minor point for the Frauenvolksbegehren because they all said, this is so complex, there are so many uh, demands, we can handle this. But in the end, you can't like change the world with one demand. You need all this program to really change something. And uh, the big thing was that it was very, uh, it was very successful in half a million of signatures. That's a lot in a country where you have 8 million uh, inhabitants. And it's also not that easy to sign this. Folks begin, you have to go to the town hall or you have to sign it online, but then you have a, sp a super specific card. It's not that you sign it on the street. So half a million is really a lot. And then we went to parliament and then we spoke three days about this, <clears throat> about this demand. And in the end, none of these demands became low. But in the end, it was really very successful because it became a lot of space in public discourse and also it challenged unquestioned standards about gender relations and it brought topics to the media which weren't both this before. Because what were these demands? For example, uh, sharing work, that was a big demand. It, it meant the 30 hours work week. Uh, for example, sharing uh, power meant a quota. 
enabling a better, uh, uh, enabling a choice of freedom meant a childcare free, high quality childcare for every child in Austria until the age of 14. There were more and more demands and some were very uh, Good, uh, had a very good acceptance in society. For example, the childcare demand, everyone loved it. I spoke to a lot of people on the street. Everyone was, yes, let's do it. It hasn't been done. And then uh, another demand, for example, like the 30 hours week or, for example, the uh, abortion on the health insurance costs that were very problematic also in the public discourse. But what, is, what has to be said that in these three years, this uh, referendum was really a feminist hub in Austria. And there were like, I think, uh, hundreds of activists there and a lot of young people were like politicized and also a lot of people who haven't been active before started to be active in this referendum and it got a lot of media presence and people get to know new concepts like, for example, the 30 hours week and they heard about these new visions and I think this is, this is very important to start this narrative on the, to like start the imagination in which world we could live and this is a good beginning. So you mentioned one thing which caught my attention. And so you said in order to really transform this unjust world, you need to be complex. So how did that complexity you just described, how did it work in the, in the mobilization process? Yeah, it was, uh, I think, the big success of the referendum was that it used a very simple language. It was very, it tried to include everyone and it was very intersectional. And it also worked with a lot of, uh, with everyone also on the pictures. It was intersectional and inclusive and the language was very simple. For example, we didn't say we want a quota, we said sharing power. That was the, the like the slogan. And then we had like the sub demands where we said how we can share power and we said, uh, share work and then we said how we can share work and also the hashtag and like the logo for it was eines for alle uh, one for all and this meant that this uh, uh, referendum is not only for women it's also for men because men will also have have benefits out of it and it's also for other stigmatized groups or disadvantaged uh, groups of society. And that was, uh, I think that was a big and a very important issue that uh, we tried to make this strategy, this communication strategy, very uh, inclusive and that everyone could be part of it and found something for it. We heard Marta talking about justice and also the kind of different approaches to achieve something like justice. In the book you edited together with others, you also have a quote of one of the most important international feminist thinkers on law, Catherine McKinnon. And she, she says, I quote, law has required that women use its rule to be effective, even as part of women's political agenda has been to challenge and change those rules, rules women had no voice in making. So she describes in this quote a little bit the ambivalence of us all um, to, 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 to move in the, in the, in the, in the legal uh, forum um, but it, and, and use the, the existing law, but at the same time question it. So how did that work in your, in your struggle? Yeah, that's, that's a very ambivalent and a very paradoxical situation because we have to change a situation which we didn't like create. 
No, we have to change the law without any precedence and without any practice. So this is, that was uh, somehow very challenging because also going, like talking to the parties and talking to the people in parliament, it also showed that, for example, the referendum had its borders for us it, because the, we went to parliament, we had this half a million signatures and nothing became low because it's uh, not part, it doesn't have to change. And I think the clue in really uh, changing something and like changing the system from this uh, complexity and from this uh, inequality for a woman in this system come from like McKinnon states is that we have to work all together like politicians and scholars and also activists because all of them have different possibilities and diff but different also uh, disadvantages and different borders. And I think this is the clue and also making uh, transnational uh, connections and yeah, fight all together. And I don't see uh, failure as uh, something, see failure as something which is part of the game, as you state in your book. <laughs> I think this is also very important. Yeah, that's something which definitely connects us, that we all consider us as, you know, actors in a political process where progress and failure are crucial parts. And um, this is definitely different to this, I would say, Anglo-American thinking of winning and losing, like in a, like in a football match. Can I add something? Uh, because I had like this thought that also in this system, because we came from this system where women were somehow excluded, it's very important to like to meaningful narrate something and to make this new, new utopias, new visions, and to tell uh, the world how a world could look like. Because we always think this is the situation how it is and we can change it because we can't imagine it. And this is something we also have to work on. Uh, also as human rights workers. One last question um, to you, Magdalena, because, I mean, the referendum happened um, four years ago and you described it in a way as successful because it's a it kind of political education, political mobilization process. So what, what are the next steps you envisage? What is, what, what's next for you and, and, and the others who were the motors of, of, of the referendum. Yeah, so a lot of people who were uh, there, because the referendum was in 2018, then in 2019 we went to parliament and then we uh, published this book and this organization still exists and I'm also part of the board and it still uh, somehow tried to lobby for for these demands. On the other hand, people who were part of this started to make new social movements. Like, for example, there were these uh, Don uh, Donnerstags demonstrations. This means the Thursday demonstrations against the government, the right uh, government in Austria. And they also started, for example, uh, some of them started an organization, which means the young, uh, the Junge Linke, the young leftists. And so they go on, some are in the Fridays for Future and are fighting for climate justice, which is also somehow a feminist goal. So they stayed active and went to different uh, directions. Let's come back to you, uh, Marta, because, I mean, we're all aware that we're facing multiple crises 
social inequality in our countries, but also between our continents. Climate crisis, obviously, but uh, yeah, the most urgent crisis right now is the pandemic. Um, and you, at some point, were pointing to the fact that this was also a major obstacle for you as a feminist um, movement in Argentina. And I mean, I have to say, um, to relate the situation in Argentina and Latin America to that in Europe, from our point of view, from ECCHR points of view, talking to a lot of our partners worldwide, we have to realize one more time that we are at the same time connected, at the same time we all live from this internationalist spirit, but on the other hand, the privilege of living and, and, and acting and working here um, has in my lifetime never been so obvious as during the last one and a half years. So I'm very sad to, to, to hear and to read about the situation in the different Latin American countries because they all, they all closed um, their countries quite, quite fast, even faster than the European countries. And uh, in a way, um, um, it's also very, uh, very sad uh, to hear even leftist and progressive people in Europe saying that the crisis, the pandemic crisis, hit us all in the same way because we are all equal and not, in all, not at all taking into consideration the different uh, level of the social system and, and, and the health system and also not taking in, into account the level of responsibility of Western actors um, you know, to, to, to cut Uh, the social systems and the health system in Latin America. So, Marta, what is your assessment on how did the, the, the pandemic crisis uh, hit your country, hit the feminist movement, and what are the ways forward right now? Yeah, I think the, the, the boundaries uh, between the global south and the, and the northern, the global north <laughs> are, um, are rising, uh, and it, it's hard to to know how can we uh, continue living in this kind of globalization where the virus can spread everywhere, but the vaccines are not. So that's that's a question that we have. Maybe it's not the time because, uh, but it's, it's a question that, that remains, the, not only the vaccines, but why are we paying for the vaccines? And so, so questions that, uh, so many questions that have to do with the possibility of, of, uh, imagining together a life away from capitalism. No, but getting back to your question for our country. Yeah. In, in a, in a very profound crisis of debt because Uh, the indebtment that the neoliberalism uh, government between 2015 and 2019 in Argentina, it's, um, I, I don't, I, I can't find the, the word to describe it, but there's an external debt that put conditions on our daily life because this uh, enormous debt and the economic crisis that are the consequence of that indebtedness uh, oblige all of us to to get another debt to to um, to live you know to put food on the table to send the kids to the school or uh, you know the just to to sustain the day-to-day -day life we have to get debt so 
um, this is a kind of obedience systems all the time. And, uh, and you feel that you work all day, you work all day, and you never get ready to be free of the debts. And it is happening, and you know, the... In, in Chile, for example, the insubordination, the popular insubordination, insubordination that took off the streets on, on 2019 uh, set it all the time on the streets and on the walls. You know, in Argentina, if there weren't a feminist movement as strong as, as it is, I think the crisis could be so much worse. Uh, the, the COVID crisis w- would be so much worse that we cannot imagine because um, we sustain the Ollas Populares, the support. Uh, we sustain also, we react defiant or uh, broken the the isolations rules because, because we have to go after to take care of the trans people that were living on the street or to take care to our companions suffering from macho violence because the isolation measures este, um, improves a lot the 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 violence into in in the in the homes and of course many people uh, lose their work so well uh, those links that we we <laughs> we've been building uh, we have been building on the streets make a, a kind of web that uh, allowed us to moderate a little the impact of of the covid crisis and the isolation measures to um, you know to to defend us from from the from the virus and also and, and the the question that we <laughs> we have now in front is how to um, reconstruct our our ties and our um, our movement that is so tired to sustain the the urgency and the crisis and really we are tired we we feel it and uh, and and but uh, you know it's so important to to spot or to enlighten that we need to rebuild not only our feminist movement, but it became very visible that uh, we need to um, uh, to tie new alliance, uh, transnational alliance that involve uh, the feminist movement, but also the ecological movements, the not the not liberal ecological movements, of course. But uh, um, listening better to the to the migrants and to the indigenous people all around the world that are defending their territories, and consider that this um, I, I don't want to to add nothing to the to the idea of an apocalypse, but I I I feel that is that the time comes up also to expand the feminist movement and to make more visible the links and the ties with other movements and to and to make transnational alliance with those who understand that no one can be safe if we are not safe at all if we are not all safe so yeah i, I think that it's a, a very urgent thing to to try to make that those alliance and and we have to to rebuild the our uh, political imagination i think uh, uh, that's what magdalena was talking about uh, utopias and i think that it's very needed to think again of utopias because we will need it to to rebuild our strength and to react in front of the of the increasing neoliberal financial neoliberalism and that uh, that 
put many conditions on our lives and also the the arising of that uh, of those extreme right wing uh, parties that uh, well you can you you know them better in Europe and we are uh, realizing that they are growing including in, in in Argentina that we thought it will never happen because we have so many social left left social movements and uh, but in the last elections uh, well there were a, a, a libertarian party, anti-vaccines and <laughs> anti-state that collects a lot of votes. So we have to, we need to react for, uh, to the to those uh, the parties because they are so dangerous for our for our life, you know. And and I think that um, feminism has the potential to narrate the crisis in an intersectional ways. So it could be a good um, a good point to start this alliance, turn our feminist uh, questions about work, about uh, daily life, about the, um, the what what care means, what care of each other means, what kind of utopias we are still fighting for to to connect different movement, class movements, and also ecological movements and migrant movements and anti-racist movements because it's time. <laughs> Thank you, Marta. I take it as an invitation to transnational legal networks like those we are involved in. And you might be happy to hear that there are there is an ongoing initiative of different, very different mixture of, of, of groups, um, including Indians, including the US-based organization and Europeans, um, to file petitions to um, European legal fora to get um, better access to vaccine. So that's um, and if you like, um, that invitation goes not only to Marta, but to everybody um, who's listening and watching us. As part of the series we had in September, a discussion between uh, lawyers and activists on that particular question, right to health and access to vaccines. So if you want to look at it in YouTube. By the way, we have five minutes more or less left. So um, first questions are already dropping in. And I um, don't want to miss the point also to describe another cooperation, transnational cooperation, between uh, the Argentine-based human rights organization CELS and our European Center. So we work on pesticides and on violations um, of the agricultural industry. And that is a, a South American uh, cooperation, which was, by the way, hindered by by Corona because we couldn't continue to converse. Zoom is fine for a certain kind of conversation, but if it comes to such a work, it's incredibly difficult to communicate. So the first question, I would put it to you and maybe then also to Marta. We'll see, we have um, a couple of minutes less. The first question would go to you, Magdalena. What needs to happen for the social transformation to fully take place? Where should feminist movement put more energy into next? Okay. I complex question yeah. for a person who's used to complex questions. I would love to know the answer for this question because then I would realize it. I think it's not that easy because uh, in the feminist movement, you always have to be to like work on little small construction sites all the time. But on the other hand, you have to envision these big utopias. And I think 
what, from my perspective, is most important, and it's also connected to the things Marta said before, that we have to know and to think that everything is connection, uh, connected in times of globalization, in times of neoliberalism, in times of post-democracy. Uh, we need to think very global and we have to think very transnational and we have to work on this little construction site and work on these utopias and do it together in solidarity. And we have to focus on our, not on our differences, but on the things we we have together and we fight for. This is also a very important thing, what you said, that some in the, in the liberal and in the leftist, there are big sometimes fights. And I think we should concentrate on uh, the common things. And they're also like the supply chain law, which is in coming, which are connecting all these different uh, demands from different movements. And I think these are important things we should focus on. Yeah, thank you very much. I think Marta mentioned the Chilean, very successful Chilean uh, movement, the Chilean leftists, despite um, the, the, the pandemic crisis. So, um, Marta, the question to you as well, but maybe with, a, with an additional question. So, what needs to happen for the political transformation and what needs also to happen um, to connect the human rights the transnational human rights movement to the transnational feminist movement because what you had successfully exercised, what you are successfully exercising in Argentina is unfortunately not so much happening on a, on a transnational level. I think um, in Argentina, the, the human rights movement make a, a big uh, transition or a, a process of growing along the years where um, we start in a point that that, that we ask for, uh, for memory um, and for justice for our victims. And we have to show us uh, to the world and also in our country as victims. No? Um, and that happened also maybe with the, um, the feminism that at least in, at the 80s or 90s, including the early uh, 2000s, many images um, associated to feminism put uh, the, the victims uh, in, the, in the first place. Uh, and I think what we have done in, in Argentina is to take a step out of the place of the victim and to build agency and fight since um, uh, from another uh, being a, a political subject. And this is uh, also for the uh, human rights movement and for the feminist movement. I don't know if, if it is clear, but I think that there's something there that we are not asking only for justice. We need to build another justice and we, we need to to fight not only the laws or not only the totality governments, but to realize that it's the system what is in crisis and the system, the capitalistic system, it's, um, it's based on the violation of the human rights and it's based on, on the ex exploitation of women and it's not a problem of, of uh, recognizing or, uh, you know, um, it's, it's a problem of, of the whole structure. So I think that when we understand that, it will be easier 
um, to to connect feminism and human rights uh, movements and ecological movements that we are all in the same place to to fight for all of us. Much, Marta. Yes, the human rights movement has um, to connect to the transnational feminist movement, the ecological movement, but we also have to think of how to decolonize this world. And that will be a topic for our next event on November 17th. And the title is Postcolonial Injustice, Genocide in Namibia and Black Lives Matter. So we, have, uh, we are inviting two activists and lawyers from Namibia and we will talk with them about um, their claims for reparation in, uh, in German, in, against Germany because of the genocide, the historical genocide, 1904 to 1906. And we are also talking to two lawyers from the US who are close to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and it's very clear after this conversation, uh, Diamata and Magdalena, that we have to continue the conversation. And I really hope that we can all come together at one place, um, not so far away, and discuss um, how to uh, together organize a political transformation to overcome this absolutely unbearable state of um, injustice in the world. So, adios, Marta, nos vemos. And uh, we have the pleasure now with Magdalena um, to stay at least in Berlin and continue here a little bit more. So see you, hopefully see you soon and have a nice evening, day. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.